It's Radiothon time. Vision Australia Radio is asking you to support our essential service to Australia's blind, low vision and print disability community. Vision Australia Radiothon. It costs us over $2 million annually to keep broadcasting across Australia. Government funding is limited. Sponsorship only goes so far. This April, we're asking you to donate and help keep us broadcasting for another year. Make a tax-deductible donation of $2 or more now by heading to varadio.org or calling 1300 847466. On Vision Australia Radio, this is Vision Extra with Peter Greco. Let's welcome to the program Professor Mark Daniel from the Centre for Eye Research, specialises in the area of corneal conditions. And uh, Mark, welcome to the program and thanks so much for your time. Oh, it's a pleasure, good to be here. One of the things that uh, you uh, work in the area of is the condition of Fuchs endothelial dystrophy. Can you tell us a bit about what the condition is and then your quite uh, remarkable work that's going on into that particular condition? Yeah, thanks Peter. So um, Fuchs endothelial dystrophy is probably the commonest cause for um, acquiring a corneal transplant um, in Australia. What it is, is it's a disease of the, uh, the cells that line the inner lining of the cornea. Now, the function of those cells is to maintain the clarity of the cornea. The cornea is normally crystal clear in life, and that clarity is maintained by a layer of cells called the endothelial cells that pump um, fluid out of the cornea and keep it in a a crystal clear state. What happens in Fuchs endothelial dystrophy is there's a disease process that's uh, inherited disease of those cells, and eventually with time they, they fail to function. That usually means that initially the eyes, uh, you can see the abnormal cells and the patients might notice some glare symptoms or trouble with seeing uh, fine detail. And as the disease progresses, the cornea becomes more swollen, particularly in the mornings early on. Um, They get a mistiness of their vision. And eventually the whole cornea decompensates and becomes swollen all of the day, in which case the vision drops quite dramatically. And what we do is um, is we remove those endothelial cells and replace them with a with a transplant with a, with donor cells. And is uh, inheritance kind of the, the biggest risk factor? Yeah, and that in old age. So as you get older, the uh, the proteins that the, um, the abnormal Fuchs cells um, deposit uh, build up, and you get what we call gatata, little lumps on the back of the uh, endothelium that you can see, and these seem to damage the function of the endothelial cells. So it does tend to run in families. We haven't worked out the exact um, inheritance yet. We're doing some some work on that area, but um, it does seem to be a relatively common condition, um, at least in Australia and and the Western world. And uh, as you get older, the uh, the manifestations become more apparent. Is it quite easy to diagnose, uh, you know, from a specialist point of view, or uh, maybe going back a step, uh, do people quite obviously notice a change in their vision that uh, might alert them to? Getting some uh, professional help. I think early on, it's quite uh, can be quite tricky to to see. You've got to look very closely at um, a very tiny layer of cells on the back of the cornea. And this can be a problem in patients who are having cataract surgery. If it isn't noticed beforehand, um, the cataract surgery can can damage those cells, and and that can lead to a failure of the cornea to clear after cataract surgery. So a number of patients I see have got uh, a mixture of some abnormal um, endothelial cells and cataract, and and once the cataract's removed, their cornea decompensates. I think as the disease progresses, though, it becomes more and more obvious both to the patient and to the doctor. And when the cornea is sort of uh, decompensated and and swollen, 
then it's usually fairly um, clear what the diagnosis is. And what about as far as the uh, sort of corrective surgery, if you like, uh, is that kind of available for everyone? It kind of can everyone or anyone that's diagnosed be a candidate or is it uh, not quite as uh, straightforward as that? No, a little bit more complicated than that, unfortunately. <laughs> so there's no there's no medical treatment at the moment. You know, we're looking into various um, possibilities there. Once the, the disease, the cornea becomes decompensated, the only um, treatment is a, is a corneal transplant. And we used to do full thickness corneal transplants, take out the whole cornea and, and sew in another cornea, which is quite a big operation for the eye. It would take, you know, 12 to 18 months for the eye to recover, for the stitches to come out right. and the vision to be restored. The newer way of doing that is just to replace that layer of cells. So we call it an endothelial keratoplasty. So it's sort of we strip the um, the disease cells off the um, back of the cornea, and then using a donor cornea, we just uh, take off that layer of cells um, and apply that into the into the back of the eye, hold it in position with, a, with an air bubble. And usually, the recovery there is much quicker. You know, they can often see within a few weeks. And is that because um, you know, in layman's terms, the the operation, if you like, is 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 smaller in terms of the um, yeah the size of the transplant, or is that too simple a way to no, put it? Uh, yeah, but no stitches is the simple way to put it. So, you know, the way we used to do it, you'd have um, 16 stitches that would require a great deal of skill and um, and accuracy in placing them and getting the tension exactly right to get it all even, and then the whole wound would have to heal. This way we use a very tiny wound, just a, a three-millimeter wound, which may require one stitch, which can go out, come out in a couple of weeks. That means that the natural curvature of the cornea is maintained. And so once the cells start adhere and start to work, then your vision returns pretty much to its best potential. So, yeah. 16 stitches in the eye. It's not that big, is it? <laughs> to put sort of 16 <laughs> stitches. No, that's, that's right. Because it's an eight, eight millimeter um, diameter um, corneal transplant we used to use. And um, 16 stitches have to be placed absolutely perfectly to get the best possible result. And if you put less than that, it tends to not be watertight, which is obviously bad. Sometimes you need more, but um, then that distorts the curvature of the cornea a little bit. So it was quite tricky, quite a a degree of um, hand-eye coordination to get it just right. Yeah, pardon the pun. That's amazing, isn't it? Um, Do people get it in both eyes if they are diagnosed with a condition? Yeah, it's a a bilateral condition. Often it can be a little asymmetric. You know, if you've had cataract surgery, it might present in one eye before the other, but often it's in both eyes. So the new work or the the new way of doing it, uh, you still rely on on donors to sort of make the, 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 the bit that you're transplanting without putting too crudely, make that available? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, which is sort of the uh, the problem that our lab's been working on. At the moment, it's a, a one-to-one transfer. You know, you have one donor who's um, who's deceased and donated their their organs, and we apply that to, to one patient, which is fine when we've got a well-organised um, eye banking system that can safely procure and store and, uh, and then distribute the corneal tissue. But many other countries in the world don't have that sort of system, and so there's a huge shortfall in the number of uh, of the amount of donor tissue available. And so we've been working on that from a number of angles, but basically trying to tissue engineer a cornea, so make a cornea in our laboratory, um, taking a few cells and amplifying them in the lab. They normally don't grow in the body, but we've worked out ways of getting those cells to to um, divide and to multiply, and to but that way we can use maybe produce 30 or 50 transplants from each uh, each donor 
And uh, with the engineers at the University of Melbourne have developed scaffolds that we can grow these cells on, um, which mimic then the normal sort of surgery that we're used to doing. So we can grow the cells to a confluent sheet on our uh, scaffold, do a normal sort of surgery, and then the hydrogel that the engineers have made is uh, is quite uh, amazing. It slowly dissolves without causing any toxicity inside the eye, leaving the cells firmly attached on the back of the cornea. Wow. So you still need the, the donor to get the, uh, the the original cells and then you know, sort of multiply those cells from the original donor. Exactly. So, you know, we, the, the other more blue sky area of research is to is to get the patient's own cells, maybe, yeah. a, you know, a skin cell or something, and then turn that into a corneal cell, and then they've obviously got unlimited supply. Um, there's a few that's using what we call induced pluripotent stem cells. So we turn the skin cell into a, a type of stem cell, we get that to grow, that grows in an unlimited way, and then we've worked out ways of getting those stem cells to turn back into corneal cells. And that's still at a fairly basic level of um, research, and there's a whole lot of um, issues that we'd have to deal with to get that to work as a, as a possibility, but that's, that's probably going to be the future. The intermediate step, though, is that to say we take one donor turn it into 50 or 30 to 50 donors Mm. and then we've um, overcome the sort of shortfall of corneas that we need at the moment. And is uh, rejection an issue when you're taking one donor and sort of uh, spreading it to 30 or 50 uh, recipients? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. With um, doing a full thickness corneal transplant, rejection is a major issue. Maybe 30% of grafts um, suffer rejection at five years. Mm. When we just do um, a single layer of cells, that that, layer, that level of rejection is markedly reduced, so maybe down to 1% or 2% at most. Wow. Um, and that's interesting. So we've been sort of thinking about that as well, you know, what, what's causing the rejection. And it may not, maybe that the endothelial cells aren't causing the rejection, but the stromal, some, some cells in the stroma are, we call them dendritic cells or antigen-presenting cells, and they might be going off to the lymph node, inducing the rejection, and then the the body rejects the endothelial cells and attacks them. So by just layer, um, transplanting a strip of endothelial cells, they're sort of stuck on the cornea and don't, don't go to the regional lymph nodes, and they probably don't have the same rejection-inducing potential. And so we think rejection is going to be much less of an issue than, than doing it the traditional way. Gee, that's extraordinary, isn't it? What about, uh, you said that, uh, you know, uh, 30% uh, have rejection within five years. I guess I was always under the impression that, you know, if you're going to get a rejection, it's going to be kind of early on. So it can take a while yeah. for the body to reject a, a transplant. No, that's, that's right. Yeah, no, that's a, a common uh, misconception. You know, it is possible to get a really acute rejection early on, but often it's, um, you've got a lot of uh, immunosuppressive drugs at that time. Mm. And, uh, and we see rejections, you know, often quite late, you know, months and, and even years after the original surgery. So you're never fully, um, uh, you know, in the clear as far as that, that goes. Is a re- rejection kind of an easy thing to diagnose, if you like? Does, does sort of something happen either blood test-wise or to the eye itself that uh, oh, there's a, a rejection about to happen or a rejection in, in the happening right now? Yeah, again, so, you know, all of ophthalmology is fairly subtle. You know, there are small signs and little things that you've got to notice. 
the patients would notice the vision going off, you know, the vision becoming blurry. Their eye might become red or photophobic, you know, sensitive to light. When the doctor looks in, they've got to notice um, tiny little cells floating inside the eye. And, um, you know, some people might miss those. And it can be particularly difficult to pick up rejection in our endothelial transplants where there's much less inflammation um, and the layer of cells, the, the donor cells is so, so thin, it's very hard to see often. So it can be, can be tricky to pick it up quickly and, and early enough. If we pick it up quickly, you can treat it. You can, we can pour on um, anti-rejection um, medications, you know, like steroid drops and so on, and that can reverse the signs and we can save the graft. If it's sort of not noticed until late, then the graft can be lost and you have to go back to square one and do another transplant. Okay, and that's, of course, assuming that uh, transplant is available. Yeah, well, that's right. There's a bit of planning and uh, and booking and all that sort of stuff as well. Mm. Uh, and uh, we're running out of time. We could chat for hours. This is amazing. I just can't uh, fathom how incredible the human body is and then the human eye is. I guess you probably see it every day and you probably kind of um, – you know, maybe, pardon the pun, become immune to it, perhaps? Oh, no, this, uh, well, not only is the human eye and the human brain amazing, but um, all the science behind it is pretty uh, extraordinary as well. And um, I'm lucky to work with a team of scientists that understand, you know, the details of, uh, of what's going on and the way the cells are growing and why they're dividing and why they're not dividing, how they're attaching onto these various um, scaffolds we're using, how we can get them to stick better inside the eye and, and really, you know, push on the surgery and the science to, to a new level so that we hopefully do things better than we did them, you know, when I started 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, well, so I'm just uh, always amazed at the incredible uh, talent and the work that uh, people at the, the Centre for Eye Research and indeed other people in this uh, sector are doing. Mark, great to talk to you. Congratulations on the work that you're doing. Uh, may you keep it up for a long time to come. And uh, again, it's uh, it's been an absolute uh, fascination speaking to you. Uh, I wouldn't mind one day maybe a gate crashing into one of your uh, laboratories and having it all explained uh, sort of uh, firsthand because it, it just sounds remarkable. But, uh, thanks again for spending some time with us. Oh, Peter, it's uh, been an absolute pleasure. And uh, and uh, keep, keep your eyes posted because there might be some news uh, coming from um, the government in the next few months about all of this. Okay. Well, we had some news on the program last week regarding some uh, spinal cord uh, injury research. So um, when, when the news comes through, we'd love to get you back to talk about it. Yeah, so would I. Good on you, Peter. Nice to chat to you. There he goes. How good is that? That's uh, Professor Mark Daniel, who's a specialist in the area of uh, ophthalmology and also in particular uh, corneal uh, diseases uh, from the Centre for Eye Research with some uh, really amazing and so insightful information. That is it for the program. If you've missed some of them, maybe you'd like to hear it again. You can search for Vision Extra on the iTunes Store, on Spotify or your favourite podcast service. Radiothon time. Vision Australia Radio is asking you to support our essential service to Australia's blind, low vision and print disability community. Vision Australia Radiothon. It costs us over $2 million annually to keep broadcasting across Australia. Government funding is limited. Sponsorship only goes so far. This April, we're asking you to donate and help keep us broadcasting for another year. Make a tax-deductible donation of $2 or more by heading to varadio.org or calling 1300 84 7466.